0: Welcome to Equinox where Rob and I are striking the balance between the light and the dark. This is episode 60. My name is Joseph Darnell and I'm joined by my good friend Dr. Robert Carter. Hello Rob.
1: Hey Joe, 60. Woohoo, we're all growing yes. up. Yes. That's incredibly cool.
0: Another milestone. Way cool. Is, is this the silver anniversary episode? Uh, or is that uh, 65? Oh. Well, it is something special cuz it's 60. That's right. Growing up I I didn't really have any anniversaries to celebrate. Now I'm old enough, I'm running into all kinds of (laughs) anniversaries left and right, and I don't know what to do with them. I'm going to have to get better at celebrating anniversaries. Uh, I do have some friends that are showing me up, and I I need them to coach me.
1: Uh, Yeah, I have a um, problem keeping up with calendars payments of bills whose birthday is when
0: yeah it's not my strong suit either
1: i get i get lost in the haze and oh wait oh, oh whoops uh, my mom's anniversary or something like that you know i need a personal administrator or assistant who every day tells me rob today you're writing a birthday greeting to your sister oh yeah <laughs> <laughs>
0: about two years ago when i was getting to know my fiancee I thought it was a good idea at the time because she had tons of siblings and nieces and nephews and brothers and sisters. I thought it was a good idea to go ahead and put together a family calendar of everybody's birthdays, everybody's anniversaries, and everybody's days of departure. (laughs) Just one shared calendar that I could have with her. So it's all of my side of the family and all her side of the family and now I'm remembering dates I never knew before in my 20s. <laughs> it's great. I surprise everybody because at like seven o'clock in the morning, I'm saying, oh, happy anniversary, so-and-so. They don't know how I know.
1: Wow. That's very good of you, sir. I compliment you.
0: I've, but I've been historically pretty bad about it. Anyway, uh, did you get anything cool for Prime Day?
1: You know, um, I looked at something cool and I decided not to spend the 100 bucks.
0: Fair enough. A penny saved is a penny saved.
1: Because I've already, I've already done it, and I've already done it full bore. I didn't need to do it a third time. And that, of course, getting uh, my DNA looked at again.
0: Okay, so you previously had 23andMe plus what else? Uh,
1: 23andMe for years ago, and then Black Friday special a couple of years ago, Dante Labs sequenced my entire genome for $189. Hmm,
0: Dante Labs. What does Dante Labs do?
1: it's just a lab in in Italy okay that does dna sequencing and they say hey we can do this so literally 6 weeks later 189 bucks i had my entire genome hit download and it's sitting on my laptop.
0: Okay. You told me that you had the genome. I didn't realize it was specific labs. So is that publicly available? No, man, it's me. (laughs) No, 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 not your genome. I mean, Dante (laughs) labs, is that a publicly available? Like anybody could get them to sequence their genes.
1: Yeah. I think the normal price is like 300 bucks. Oh wow. For all 3 billion letters.
0: I just don't imagine they had a prime day sale. So
1: No, no, no. Well, it was a black Friday special when I got mine. But Ancestry had, you know, Prime Day of like, I don't know, 59 or sixty nine bucks. I was like, oh, I want to do it so bad. And I was like, oh, yeah, and you th- I can get three months of the international Amazon subs- uh, Ancestry subscription. It's only $99 total. Live. But I was like, Rob, you're upselling yourself. You wanted it cheap and all of a sudden you're at 100 bucks. So I, oh, yeah. Once I, yeah, I made myself mad because I was allowing the marketing to upsell me. And so I said, oh, ah, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to let them get me like that.
0: Oh, fooey." I'll show them. Well, I ended up caving and I wanted to get the test kits for me and my wife, yeah. so I picked up 23 and Me's special because of Prime. Oh, you did? Yeah, tw- uh, Prime Day. they run regularly 200 bucks. Yeah. They were 50% off. I got them for 100 each. Yeah, cool. That's what I'm talking about. Cool. I thought about the Ancestry one too, but it doesn't sound as good.
1: That is actually their standard uh sale price, and that was actually the original uh release price was 99 bucks. And so then they jumped it up to 200 and then they just run sales for 99 all the time. Good for you. Ah, (laughs) good for you. I'm
0: I'm enjoying the perceived value.
1: All right. So, have you gotten it yet? Have you spit in the tube yet?
0: Not yet. We got the package last night and I was busy painting my dad's back porch. So, I haven't had the time. All right. But we are going to spit into a tube and mill it. (laughs) When I looked down into the package and saw the tube, I, I was like, what is this thing for? And my wife thought I was serious. Started to explain it to me. <laughs> <laughs> so you wanna talk about Starlight and Time?
1: Actually I do want to talk about Starlight and Time. It's been on my mind a lot lately. We just uh recorded a podcast. In fact you edited that podcast. It's just went up on YouTube. Mm. And it's just it's just on my mind. So I just wanted to talk about it. But the problem is that as we're getting ready for the show, I was researching our extra our second ever equinox extra Uh, for our our subscribers and i just want to skip to that man forget starlight i want to talk about the extra (laughs) things and i'm getting hungry so anyway do we tell people what it is oh go ahead sure all right it's the science the physics the chemistry of ice cream Mm -mm -mm. Uh,
0: i I don't know of a better topic
1: ever (laughs) but you are all of you listening now you have to be on the extra subscribers list, and we'll tell you at the end of the thing how to do that.
0: Yeah, it's going to be awesome.
1: What did I say? We'll find out what
0: our favorite chocolate flavors are, or our favorite ice cream flavors are.
1: Well, chocolate—that you just said it—if <laughs> it doesn't have chocolate, it's not worth eating.
0: <laughs> well, there is a twist, my friend. Uh, chocolate is not my favorite; never has been. Why? Don't understand why. It just does not grab me like it grabs other people. What? I honestly, God, I have always favored vanilla plus the fruity flavors, and I like a little swirl of chocolate in there, but not just solid chocolate or you know extra loads of chocolate for any reason.
1: I, I like getting vanilla ice cream, and I'll go get my powdered chocolate and take a scoop and put it on top, and try not to breathe it in to choke on it. But I'll have like powdered chocolate on top of my ice cream. Oh, that's so yummy. Oh. Yeah, I don't like chocolate (laughs) syrup stuff. That's just too much. But
0: anyway. Anyway, good topic. Looking forward to that one. Yeah. And what we wanted to get to in this regular episode is Starlight and Time. Yes, 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 yes. Starlight and Time. Can I tell the audience a little bit about that new video? Yeah. All right. So it's not very often we go into the details concerning the ministry videos. Nope. And if you're one of our newer listeners, you may not be aware that Rob is a scientist. I am a video producer. We both work for Creation Ministries International in the United States.
1: Creation.com.
0: And they put out a new talk show video about every other week for their podcast series called Creation Talk. So the latest episode is with Dr. Jonathan Sarfati and Dr. Rob Carter discussing distant starlight and the like, young Earth age model, the young Earth
1: model. Yeah, how do you explain distant starlight if the universe is not billions of years old? Cool question. Right,
0: and it's a good video. It's a really good video. Uh, I, I I enjoy our videos in general, but this one also just came across as super cohesive. Cool. And if you're interested in that, there'll be a link in the show notes to the YouTube channel. But if you're not interested in watching a talk show because you're listening to a podcast here, then there's also an audio podcast version. I, I'm editing these myself and i I do everything in my power to make the audio podcast cut a little notch above i i give it a little extra secret sauce of editing
1: unlike my biblical genetics audio podcast where i listen to it myself later on i'm like oh this sounds terrible but that's a lot of work just to get it to that state so
0: (laughs) well i've been doing this for half of my lifetime so if i'm not good at it yet i don't know what i'm good at but the this episode is relevant. Uh, we'll be discussing some of the same issues. But I think we can expand upon it because we have more time
1: here. Now, what we're not going to do is cover Einsteinian relativity. Uh, just because we need to do an entire show on Einstein, photoelectric effect, special relativity, general relativity, mm. and how all that works together.
0: Okay, I'm going to throw that into the queue.
1: Yeah, if we if we do that now... That's all going to be talked about for the next hour, maybe two or three hours. Probably not. But I need to think of ways to explain it simply. I've studied this before. I've had conversations on this. I've never tried to explain it to somebody. And that's what is going to throw me.
0: Yeah. I wondered why we hadn't talked much about Einstein over the course of the series. I
1: just never thought about it. Just, you know, it hasn't come up. We've had so many other interesting and fascinating things to talk about. It just hadn't gotten there yet. Okay. Yeah. It's going to happen, just like like what we were talking about this afternoon, right? Next week we're going to talk about submarines. Why can we never talk about submarines? I don't know. And how long did I talk about submarines off the top of my head? A half an hour,
0: <laughs> almost,
1: without stopping. Just oh yeah, this yeah. and that, and this and that, and the other thing. No, da, 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 so, so yeah, we do submarines. That's gonna be great. But same thing with Einstein. It's just you know we need to round to it. Yeah, just haven't gotten there yet.
0: So what I know about distant starlight is that the farthest reaches of The Milky Way galaxy and the galaxies we can see from telescopes beyond, they are countless light years away. So the problem for all of us is how long did it take for that starlight to travel to get to Earth so that we could see it through telescopes? So, you know, did God finagle the clocks of the universe in such a way that Adam and Eve were able to see starlight by the end of the second week or did they see it the 8th day of time or what happened
1: third day actually that's when the sun moon and stars are created so yeah that's a good question
0: and it really is kind of a puzzle and i've heard different theories and they're really interesting and i think that one of the surprising issues is how poorly evolutionists are able to account for things concerning this so uh, yeah, I'm interested to hear your hot take on it.
1: Well, let's start with the Big Bang model, and then we'll talk about various alternative models, creationist and non-creationist. But Big Bang is actually fascinating. But first, let's talk about the size of the universe as far as we can tell.
0: Yeah.
1: We know stars are really far away. And the reason we know that is stars don't wiggle in the sky as the Earth orbits the sun. Oh. I mean, our was it 93 million miles? I mean, it's eight light minutes. That's the radius of our orbit. So in the distance, light can travel in 16 minutes. That's how far we are away from ourselves in the summer versus the winter. Yeah. And if you're looking at a star and all of a sudden you move by 16 light minutes, if that star is close, it's going to move in the sky back and forth because of parallax. But they don't move. They just sit there. Because it's the same way if you're in a car or a train and you're looking out the window, trees trees that are close up go really fast, but a mountain in the background goes really slowly. Yeah. Because the angular change between you and the tree is very abrupt. It goes from far left to far right quickly, but that mountain way in the background, the angular change is really slow. It takes a long time for it to move across the way back of the landscape. So distant objects don't move as fast, when you're moving even if they're not moving they don't appear to move as fast when you are moving and stars don't move even though we move on earth by 16 light minutes every six months so we know they're far away the europeans launched the gaia satellite uh, a year or two ago and i think it's parked just behind the moon or something like that but it is measuring parallax to all sorts of of uh stars (laughs) it's hard to do it here on earth because you've seen stars they wiggle in the sky the atmosphere the atmospheric turbulence makes stars move
0: yeah and uh, th- this was one of those cool tricks where you learn in sciences that uh in grade school that the planets don't flicker but the yeah. stars do
1: yeah that's a rule of thumb not quite perfect but it's a rule of thumb yeah and that's because of the, the atmosphere wobbles and so a lot of uh, str- uh Astronomies, uh, astronomers, a lot of, uh, uh, what are those things called? We have a telescope sticking out of dome. Uh, um, you know, the place where the Observatories? Yeah, yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm shooting from the hip here. And I'm doing all these different topics. And I just ran out of vocabulary. <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh, I've been there.
1: <laughs> okay, so <laughs> thank you for asking. <laughs> a lot of observatories will use a laser pointed up. And as the laser wiggles, they'll move their camera to compensate and get a much steadier picture of the, the, the universe. So, But because of that, we can't measure parallax. It needs a really close star to move, and even then it's going to only be a fraction of a degree, as we talked about episodes ago, probably a year ago. So the Europeans launch a satellite, and it's way up in space, and it's pointing at stars, and it's watching them move. And millions of stars. And it's measuring parallax to millions of stars. So therefore, we know the distance. And the the distance is measured in light years. These things are really far away. Okay. The Milky Way galaxy, as far as we can estimate, is like 107,000 light years in diameter. (laughs) And we're near the edge of one of the arms. So it's about 100,000 light years to the other side of the Milky Way. Um,
0: do we have a map of the other side of the milky way do we have a no. good idea of the stars the systems no
1: no there's too much dust in the in the core of the, the center of the galaxy yeah you look up and down out of the plane of the solar uh, uh, out of the plane of the galaxy you can see fine but when you look toward the center there's just a lot of uh, obscuring things so we look at other galaxies say, right, we think that's like the, our, our galaxy over there and we use those as models but they can't know they have measured a lot of things using like the infrared spectrum because you can see through the dust, and so they've got a pretty good picture of this of the galaxy. It's just not nearly as clear as other ones we can look at that are outside, but the Milky Way itself is older than the Bible says the universe is if light speed is what we think it is, and that is the crux of the matter that is. You know, where, where you find out how the universe actually works is when you figure out this light speed conundrum. Now, the Big Bang model, which we're going to talk about, has its own light speed conundrums, massive conundrums, things that just don't get explained easily, and people don't like to talk about it, but it's staring everyone in the face. And one of the biggest problems is that the background temperature of the universe is very homogenous, and yet the early universe, if it's expanding, Big Bang-like, Would it have some lumps, and those lumps would be hot spots and cold spots? Well, there are no hot spots and cold spots in the background radiation. The fluctuations are, you know, fractions of a percent of a degree. And so the question is, how did light from that hot spot get over here to the cold spot so that both spots are the same temperature today? It's called the horizon problem. See, in in a Big Bang model, there's no edge to the universe. It's not like the universe was like a, a, a grain of rice or a grain of sand. That's not true. The universe we can see in a Big Bang model was that size, but next to that was another grain of rice, and next to that was another grain of rice, and next to that was another grain of rice, and they went on forever. Then everything expanded. All the grains of rice expanded, and everything started moving away from each other. Now, the reason I'm using a grain of rice example is because that grain of rice expanded to like 13, 14, 15 billion light years across. Anything beyond that is actually receding from us faster than the speed of light. It's called one Hubble volume. The known universe, they say, about 10 to the 80th particles, is called a Hubble volume. That is the radius of the Big Bang sphere that we can see. Anything outside of that is moving away from us too fast. That light can never get to us. We're causally disconnected from it. It doesn't matter what happens in those those parts of the universe. Who cares? We'll never see it. We cannot experimentally validate those things actually exist. Wow. It's just... It's just assumed that there's stuff out there beyond what we can see. It's just invisible to us. Wow. That's a, that's a big old assumption, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I learned that from Russ Humphreys in his book, Starlight and Time. That was the first thing I ever read on the subject that I understood. I took, you know, relativity, Georgia Tech physics, physics three, I think it was. And I made a B in physics three. I was happy, but that was the first time I ever considered relativity and time dilation, length contraction. I was like, what is going on? My brain hurts but I get it now. (laughs) So we start off with a problem that is light cannot cross the universe. We know the universe is larger than 6,000 light years. We know it. We know it from parallax. We know it from all sorts of other astronomical observations. It's just bigger than the Bible says the universe can be. If the universe is only 6,000 years old. Wow. So either, creation accounts only talking about the earth, not talking about the sun moon and stars no because it says the sun moon and stars are created on day three so i'm getting ahead of myself we're going to get to creationist answers in a little bit But big bang universe first we had the horizon problem uh the, the universe is too even there's not enough lumps we we know that these things are given and so not everyone's happy with this some people talk about um the universe didn't expand at all it's actually static that was the old version before the big bang came about the universe was static, but that runs into a second law of thermodynamics problem. If you have a static universe, heat gets dispersed evenly. If you have a static infinitely old universe that doesn't have a beginning, then it wouldn't exist anymore.
0: Now, and just to clarify, you mean by static, what do you mean by static? Nothing moving?
1: Yeah, not expanding, not contracting. Things can move, but it's not like the whole universe is expanding. It just, is what it is. And, the, you know, these galaxies over there and those galaxies are over there. But that can't be true if it's infinitely old because all those stars would have burned out by now. And once you spread out all the heat evenly, you can't do any work. One definition of work is a transfer of energy from one place to another. And if you have the same exact temperature everywhere, you can't do energy transfer. And the universe would just, it's called the heat death. That's what one of the possible outcomes of a Big Bang could be, is the ultimate heat death of the universe where everything's just kind of like warm. All the heat's evenly spread there aren't any stars, there aren't any anything. Oh, there's, no, there's just subatomic particles just you know, kind of like floating around and nothing happens anymore. Well, that would have been the result of a static eternal universe. And so the scientists knew this, but a young static universe would be just fine. If God just created everything out there, put that star there, that star there, these galaxies there, those black holes over there, and let go, there's no problem with that at all except for the distances light simply today does not travel that fast and you can't get light from other galaxies here let alone even the light from our own galaxy <sighs> there's not enough time in biblical history but big bang supposedly solved this but i mean when you consider the physics of the big bang this is where things get really strange and i like to put it in these these terms cuz most people don't consider it this way but if you just look at the numbers you have something that, is, um, something that is smaller than an atom is going to expand to 10 light years in diameter. Can you say that again? During the Big Bang, something is small, smaller than an atom is going to expand to something 10 light years in diameter. That's the scale of the expansion we're talking about. It's 10 to the 78th power. But the time scale we're talking about is faster than the fastest molecular vibration. The timescale is one quintillionth of a femtosecond. Now, it doesn't matter what those numbers mean. What's a femtosecond? What's a quintillionth? (laughs) Yeah. Obviously, it's a tiny little number. So essentially, the universe, the older Big Bang, it just expanded. But in the 1970s, Alan Guth said, no, that doesn't work. We need inflation. We need rapid expansion. After it starts expanding, it all of a sudden goes, and expands really fast, and then slows down to the modern rate. So we added a very brief period of hyperinflation, 10 to the 78th power in one quintillionth of a femtosecond. (laughs) There's no physics behind that. It was a way of explaining data to get the universe smooth. There's nothing in physics that says, we would expect this to happen. We'd expect it to happen this long after the expansion happens. This is when it starts. And we don't expect it to go at any particular rate or for any amount of time. This is not like, you know, Maxwell's equations or Einstein's equations or Newton's equations. There's nothing in physics that says we think these things will happen. No, it was, hey, the math doesn't work out unless we add this little trick. That's the inflationary period of the Big Bang. And that is why I don't like it. Mm. I don't care what it explains. Yeah. Yeah. It's magic, literally, wave a mathematical magic wand over a problem, and we get closer to be able to explain the data. I read a a paper, oh, two years ago, maybe, Mm -hmm. and it was a um, PhD physicist, and she was talking about all these different periods of inflation. Uh, At this point in time, the universe expanded at this rate, and then it slowed down to that rate, but over here, this happened here, and it sounded like epicycles. Remember the, uh, the geocentrism talk we had last year? Yeah. Where the old idea was that you had cycles and then cycles within cycles. And that explained why Mars goes backwards every once in a while. They were called epicycles. And in order to get the thing to work, you had to add more and more, more special pleading cases of complex situations. Well, that sounded very much like this Big Bang explanation. Mm-hmm. And it was, every explanation was, was, was expansion, expansion, expansion. But there was no reason for any of that to happen. So just like geocentrism, where people are trying to describe the motions of the planets using Earth as a reference frame, yeah, you can do that. But there's no physics behind it. So me, I want consistency, and I want physics to be able to be applied to astrophysics. And I don't see it. Now, astrophysicists right now, if we have any listening, are probably yelling into their computer monitor or yelling into their uh their car speakers that i'm an idiot but no i'm sorry i've been saying this and thinking about this for well over a decade and i've talked to people who know who do the math even and they say yeah you're right you're right that's a good summary of it that's my layman friendly summary of my problems with the big bang now does it explain things yeah it does sure enough does it explain everything absolutely not i don't think there's
0: much of any models that explain much of everything
1: True, but some explain more than others. Sure. But just wasn't it last week we talked about the, the giant galactic structure, these chains of galaxies that were, were yes. you know, 1 fif- one fifteenth of the radius or the diameter or what, the circumference of this night sky. And it's it's just too big for a Big Bang to explain. We have don't have that much time in a Big Bang model for gravity to attract those things into this giant structure. So… It's an idea, it's fun to talk about, as an intellectual pursuit, it's really enjoyable. Now, I don't do that math, but the people who do that math, they like doing it. Great, good for you. But it's just a mental construct that doesn't really fit. Now, has the universe expanded? Yeah, it looks like it has. Is the universe more than 6,000 light years across? Yeah, it sure is. So we need other ways to explain this. And there are multiple possibilities. I don't know which one could be true. I don't know which one is true. I have problems with all of them. I have problems with the Big Bang model, and I have problems with all the creationist uh, counter-explanations. We simply don't know. And anyone who tells you otherwise is selling something. Sorry, couldn't resist that Princess Bride reference. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And the reason we don't know is we only have one universe. It's not experimental universe. There's only one. And history only happened once. And the light getting to us is getting to us today but we don't know how fast it went in the process we don't know what happened between here and there we don't know there's so many things we don't and we cannot know and that's the problem we can test gravity we can test the boiling point of water we can't test the universe it's a one-off thing and so it's more theory than data honestly now how where did the big bang come from is a really cool question Hmm. edwin hubble was working on this and you know einstein he had a static universe, he, and he added a cosmological constant to hold the universe together. He said it was his biggest blunder. But Hubble said, no, 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 no. I'm looking at these pulsing stars, and if I look at them in nearby galaxy versus dim, small, therefore farther away galaxies, um, the, the light has shifted to the red as if they're moving away from us. It's been stretched out. And the farther away I look, the more red the light is stretched. This is the genesis of the Big Bang hypothesis. That is that the farther away things are, the faster they're traveling away from us. Now, imagine that that the universe really is a ball. It doesn't go on forever. It's just a ball. Well, then it should be collapsing. Self-gravity would cause everything to move toward us. Why are things moving away? Well, it has to be infinite because there has to be things on the other side of what we can't see or else everything would just collapse into itself. So it's got to go on forever, I think well, that's what they think anyway, but you can't expand into the stuff that's there because it's expanding in our direction also, and and what's going on so they say, "Oh no no, no, see, space is expanding, all of space is expanding. It's not like things are moving away from Earth. it's Earth is moving away from everything, and everything's moving away from everything else also. So if you stand on Earth and you look in one direction, you pick out like a quasar that's at the edge of our vision, yeah. You go to that quasar, there's probably a normal galaxy there. You look back at Earth, we might look quasar-like, but that place at the edge of our vision, it can look further away. So we might be able to see out 13.8 billion light years. Well, you travel 13.8 billion light years away, and you can look another 13.8 billion light years away, and you can look at Earth, but anything beyond Earth is dim or invisible. Or say this way, from Earth, we can look to the left and see out 13.8 billion light years. We look, can look to the right and see 13.8 billion light years, but the things on our left cannot see the things on our right. And the things on our right cannot see the things on our left.
0: Oh, that's a great way to put it. Yeah.
1: Because they're moving away from each other at faster than light speed. They're moving away from us at less than light speed so we can see them away from each other at faster. And that's wow. the horizon problem again. Things just, they're just invisible to each other. So it's got to be infinite or collapses, but how do you expand an in infinity? Because that means that things are... Like, so, like, the stars on our left and our right are, let's say, they're moving away from each other at exactly C. Well, if you go the same distance beyond that in both directions, now they're moving away from each other to C. And you keep on going and going and going, you're approaching infinity. <laughs> How can things move at infinite speed? What, what a minute. This, this doesn't work. Unless the universe loops back on itself, okay, then you don't have the infinite regression problem. But, th- okay, that's an almost ad hoc explanation. So, you got this Big Bang idea yeah we, we can see redshift. we can see things moving away. It can't be finite. there has to be stuff beyond what we can see. And then we have new things that get added to it, like a uh, dark matter. <laughs> yeah, but, but so. it's, it's not super funny. It sounds ridiculous that there is matter that doesn't interact with matter, always sees as gravity. It doesn't produce light, heat, or anything like that, but it has gravitational effects.
0: Well, I'm not chuckling because it's funny. I'm chuckling because it's overwhelming.
1: (laughs) Okay, okay. I understand that. But the reason they invented dark matter... See, I thought that it was a rescue device for the Big Bang a couple years ago. That, That was not true. It was realized before the Big Bang even existed as a hypothesis. When they're looking at galaxies, you can do redshift on stars in other galaxies. So as the galaxies rotate, you can see how fast they're moving toward us or how fast they're moving away from us. That's really cool. But they realized that, oh, just like Pluto is orbiting the sun very slowly, well, stars around a galaxy, the further away from the galactic hub you get, the more slowly they should rotate. But it's not true. The rotation speed flattens out. The stars on the edge are moving the same speed as the stars in the middle. That makes no sense. <laughs> Unless there's a massive amount of dark matter in a halo surrounding the galaxy. Oh, wow. So dark matter was invented to explain the rotation curves of galaxies. It wasn't invented to save the Big Bang. It already existed as another saving mechanism, or else we can't explain how gravity explains stars going around galaxies. And that's a big deal, because there are a lot of galaxies. There's a lot of matter in galaxies in the universe, and if we can't explain them, we can't explain gravity and we don't know what the universe is doing. So if you take away dark matter, you have a massive problem. And that's really funny. And I think it's greatly funny and I love watching people go in somersaults trying to and twist themselves in pretzels trying to get her away from this, but it's true. Without dark matter, they're toast.
0: So are they saying that the dark matter is part of the Big Bang?
1: Uh a little, a little yeah, but I don't know what part. Yeah. They say it's part of the current universe. It's like of the universe or something like that. And that's how much extra mass they need to explain things like galactic rotation curves. However, if God created the universe, he doesn't have to use the laws of physics to create the universe. Right. So in a creation context, it is what it is. It could be anything. It's just, hey, that's cool. Look at that. We're looking at something because that's the way it was made. Now, that's not intellectually satisfying on some levels. But on another level, I'm not looking for naturalistic explanations of where life came from, where matter came from, where light comes from, where complex life comes from, how the human brain works. Right. To me, these things are superimposed upon matter by a hyper-intelligent source, which to me is intellectually satisfying. All right. So, Big Bang is weird, but it's weirder than that. Because even after Guth invented this magic 10 to the 70th expansion and you know, a billionth of a billionth of a billionth of a billionth, you put the numbers up on the video of a second, some more weird things are happening. And that's, yeah, things are redshifted more and more the further away you look, but based on how far away you think they are, they're actually more redshifted than they should be. And so they invent this thing called dark energy. (sighs) And that's like 96% of the mass energy of the universe is dark energy. Wow. I mean- Baryonic matter, so the hydrogen atoms, things we're made of, is only a, a percent or two of the universe. You have three or four percent of dark matter. And then like 95, 96% of the universe, pardon me if I don't remember the exact percentage, Yeah, is dark energy. And that is what is propelling an increasing expansion rate of the universe. And again, you can't detect it. Mm. You can only observe its effects. Wow. And yet it's all based on assumptions about like you know the light speed is always constant speed of light is always constant that gravity works the way we think it works and all sorts of things like that and these are really big questions and we're making assumptions we honestly don't know we don't know what gravity is we don't know how it works now einstein's theories of gravity have been validated thousands of times i mean that we should do one on um on the ligo detector that's been detecting uh, black hole mergers. That's just so cool. And it's working. And there's more than one. We use interferometry. And we know the direction these things are and the power. And it's validating Einstein's theories in amazing ways. And yet there are other weird things in the universe that are hard to explain using our current understanding or belief in gravity. Fair enough?
0: Yeah. All
1: right. That's enough of that. Let's leave Big Bang to the side. Yes, it has some explanatory power. No, it doesn't explain everything. And there's a magic component to it now let 's look at how we might explain the universe without naturalism, or with naturalism it's been sped up, or there's all sorts of different possibilities back in the seventies, I know the Journal of Creation had several editions that were filled with back and forth discussion of something today we 're calling the setterfield hypothesis the setterfield hypothesis yeah, Barry Setterfield was a creationist, or I think he is a creationist, and he um he hypothesized that light speed was very fast in the past, and it um, exponentially slowed down to today's levels. Some of the earlier light speed estimates were higher than our current 3 times 10 to the 8 meters per second, and yet the earliest ones had the larger error bars. And that's the whole crux of it. Yeah, sure. The first light speed measurement was a lot faster than what we think it is. And the next one was a little less. The next one was a little less. And now we have got a very, uh, very tight band on the speed of light. All measurements last 200 years have basically given us the same answer. But the first one or two measurements were high. Oh, see, light speed was faster in the past, and it's been slowing down to today's level. And that could explain how light could get here from the distant reaches of the universe going faster. Yeah. One issue with that though is that C, the speed of light, appears in a lot of fundamental physical formulae. And if you change the speed of light, you might like change the structure of an atom or any number of other things. And so it's kind of hard to account for. But I know people have theorized and worked through all that, but at first glance, you look at the formula you're just like, um, I think we change the fabric of the universe if we change the speed of light. But there's a, a Portuguese Cosmologist today, maybe Brazilian, he's got Portuguese name, who's talking about light being much faster in the past. Really? And again, this, this takes care of the horizon problem. And there might be some mathematical, some other reasons for it. So it's not like only the creationists talk about it. Secular guys, sec- I hate that creationist versus secular, but the uh, non-creationist, uniformitarian, naturalistic, materialist scientists are also discussing this. A very minority of, of, the, of them are doing that, but some of them are talking about it. And there's no reason for light speed to be constant. Einstein assumed it. It literally, one of the fundamental assumptions of relativity is that the speed of light is always the same, and always the same in all directions, and always the same no matter what direction you're traveling or how fast you're traveling. He said, light speed is constant, therefore mass increases as you go faster and length decreases as you go faster. Well, wait a minute. What if light speed is the thing that varies? Well, then you need different mathematics. But maybe light speed was faster in the past. I don't think so. Hmm. But it's a possibility. Okay. Back in the 90s, Russ Humphreys, my friend Russell Humphreys, Dr. Russell Humphreys, wrote a book called Starlight in Time. I read this when I was in my first year of graduate school. I remember I found his email address at the National Laboratory that he was working at. Oh. <laughs> and I sent him an email with questions. And he goes, oh, um, hey, I don't usually use my work address for this kind of stuff. So he sent me his personal email address. That was really cool. And we talked about Einstein and relativity and his thing. He had this thing called white hole cosmology. And it's the idea that, yeah, the universe expanded, but the universe is not infinite. And if the universe is not infinite, if you take that, the universe and compact it down, you get a black hole. And inside a black hole, time passes very slowly. And if God started off the universe in a black hole and then started expanding that, when matter left the black hole... Time would increase rapidly, but anything inside the black hole, time is still passing very slowly. So if the Earth was somewhere inside that black hole, somewhere near the center of it, matter leaves, the black hole shrinks because the event horizon goes down as matter leaves, and then eventually the Earth passes the event horizon, and lo and behold, only a couple of days have happened on Earth and literally billions of years have happened outside. That is so cool. And there's nothing wrong with that because we're talking about Earth clocks. It's X number of days on Earth for creation week. Okay. So, how old the universe is might depend upon where you are in the universe. Very, very interesting. He also, in a further refinement of his model, he realized that as this expansion is happening, there's literally going to be a zone in the center where zero time happens. Oh, wow. So, there'll be time and it'll transition to a zero time zone and a retransition to slow time, and then the black hole evaporates, now you're in normal time. But Earth could literally have stopped. And if you're on Earth, you would not know you stopped. And I imagine being on Earth and, and looking out at the heavens as things are leaving the event horizon, and you see fireworks in the sky, as galaxies just start pinwheeling, and stars start exploding and merging, and all this stuff is happening. This is really cool. Now, I don't think the naturalistic model explains stars and the rest of the universe. Clouds of gas don't condense into stars. They disperse. It's a massive problem. How do you get stars from? Oh, you have a supernova that causes a shock wave that condenses the gas into a star. Great. How'd you get that first star to get the supernova? <laughs> so there are big problems with this. And another problem is planet formation. Dust orbiting a star falls into the star. Or gets blown away. Dust doesn't self-aggregate into large clumps. Dust particles, when they're orbiting something and they run into each other, they obliterate each other. So any clumps get blown up. And until you're about a kilometer in diameter, you will get blown up every time something runs into you. In the accretionary sort of a disk scenario. And they've modeled this. They know this. Given dust at this diameter or this distance from a star that's orbiting, what's the velocity? What's the kinetic energy? And... You, you can't do it. You can't get that transition from something as, as you know pebble-sized to something kilometer-sized. Once you get a kilometer-sized object, you can build it into a planet. So we can't explain where stars come from. We can't explain where planets came from. We have a big problem. And you look at our solar system, it doesn't make any sense why the gas giants are outside and the rocky things are inside, etc., etc., etc. Our solar system doesn't make any sense, and the Neptune's lying on its side. <laughs> the axis is the axis is not like, if Earth's axis is up and down, then Neptune's axis is almost lying flat. What? How could that have evolved from a planetary disk that's orbiting? All the planets should have about the same direction. And a couple of planets are spinning backwards compared to Earth. <laughs> so, it, <laughs> so I don't for a second believe that naturalistic theories can explain what we see. But it's still fun to use naturalistic theories to try to explain it that are alternate to the big bang so white hole cosmology is very naturalistic in fact top to bottom it's just using physics and yet it still doesn't explain stars and planets and things like that so we have another idea again this also doesn't explain it but it's still a cool idea Uh, john hartnett who has since rejected this idea but he was working with an israeli cosmologist named moshi carmeli and he came up with um basically he adopted carmelian relativity. So, we had special relativity, general relativity. They added another term. And using this other term, which is like this, the speed of the matter expansion or something like that, you can explain why galaxies have their rotation curves without res- having to resort to dark matter. And you can explain all sorts of, of things without needing a Big Bang. Very interesting. Yeah. Now, Russ Humphreys has come up with several other models, one of them, is um, the Bible talks about God stretching out the heavens. It says it multiple times in the Old Testament. And and Russell has said, well, if the universe is a fabric and you put tension on a fabric, well, what that would ha- happen is you would add energy to the system and matter would naturally pop into existence. Pop, 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 pop. Just by stretching the fabric of space. Galaxies are gonna form, stars are gonna form, planets pop, boop, there they are, there's matter. That's really interesting. He's worked on another another model where he's talking about light going through hyperspace. That light like, jumps into hyperspace and jumps back out of hyperspace. Oh, there it is, it's, here it is. So basically light can travel from the distant places in the universe because it doesn't have to travel through the universe to get here. <sighs> there's nothing theoretically wrong with that. You can mathematically explain this, and you know, physicists and mathematicians, they talk about hyper dimensions all the time. wow that's weird yeah so why can't that happen and then we have jason lyle hartnett has adopted jason lyle's idea it's called anisotropy anisotropy um basically it's the idea that light doesn't travel the same speed in all directions
0: wait come again
1: that light doesn't travel the same speed in all directions
0: interesting yeah so would that be true here on earth down on the ground level as well
1: yes and no oh now, there's two different forms of this. One is, I'm going to call it this, the special form is that light traveling toward Earth is faster than light traveling away from Earth. And the general form is light traveling toward any observer is infinite, and traveling away from any observer is c over 2. Now, it can be anything in between, but infinite and c over 2. So if you send light out to a mirror on the moon and it bounces back, it travels away from us at half the speed of light, hits a mirror, and comes back to us instantly. The round trip time is c. c over 2. Divided by, or plus zero time to come back, divided by two is C. See, the, the round trip time of light is something that Einstein assumed. And he dire- he deliberately and directly assumed that the round trip speed is the same, but we can't measure it. Let me explain. This is going to be weird. Oh. Huh. If you shine a flashlight, it bounces off a mirror on the moon and it comes back. You know how far it went and you know how long it took. But you don't know how fast it was traveling while it was traveling.
0: Yeah, both ways. Yeah.
1: Both ways. It could be going real fast at sometimes and real slow at other times. And you would never know. All you know is how long it took to get back to you and how far it went. It's the same way as like, hey, mom, I'm going to the store. Okay, drive slow, little Johnny. Sure, mom, I'll drive slow. Get to the store, turn around. And then park at the end of your neighborhood. Wait for 10 minutes. And then drive nice and slow into the neighborhood and pull up into the garage. Hey, mom, I drove slow the whole time. Aren't you proud of me? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And mom can't tell. All she knows is when little Johnny got back and how far he went. All right. So there's all sorts of things that people have tried to measure the speed of light. And in the end, we are stuck with measuring a round trip distance. And it doesn't matter what we do. So let's say that you know how far away the moon is, right? So let's take two clocks, two atomic clocks that are perfectly in sync here on earth and okay we know they're ticking 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 and we're gonna take one of them we're gonna send it to the moon and at noon tomorrow i'm gonna turn on my flashlight at exactly noon and you look at your clock and you tell me when my flashlight beam gets there that should work right yeah if you send it both at noon you know the exact time and you know the distance and therefore it'll be you know noon plus five seconds or something like that. It took five seconds to get here. So the speed of light is the distance divided by the time. No, that's not true because your clock isn't the same as my clock. To get that clock to the moon, you had to accelerate the clock and you get time dilation. If you move anything, you get time dilation. Usually it doesn't apply, you know, driving on a highway or something like that, whatever. There's time dilation, but it's it's irrelevant. But when you're moving something as far away as the moon, you got to get it there really fast. And the process of moving will mess up the synchrony between the two clocks. You actually don't know what time it is on the moon. So, your clock says, bing, 12 o'clock, here comes a light pulse. But you have no idea when the light pulse is actually going to be sent. And there's zero ways. You cannot synchronize the two clocks no matter what you try. So, the best you can do is send light out, bounce it off something and have a comeback. It's called the two-way speed of light problem. And you cannot resolve it. Now, I'm hoping, remember last week we talked about particles that are bound together Mm -hmm. and they're entangled and if you mess one particle up, the other one would do the exact same thing even if they're really far apart and the effect apparently happens at faster than the speed of light as far as we can tell it's instantaneous. Well, you might be able to get a quantumly entangled system between here and the moon and you could say to the other person, okay, look, I'm going to turn on my flashlight at the same instant I'm going to mess up this quantumly entangled particle. So when the quantum entangled particle on your end rings the bell or something, wait for the light flash and just tell me how long it takes. That can happen. But there's also a problem with gravity in that time passes faster on the moon than it happens on Earth. Clocks don't tick at the same rate because of gravity. So you would have to factor that into your calculation. Oh, we don't have (laughs) have (laughs) synchronous clocks anymore. Oh, I'm going crazy. So maybe we can do it on Earth. You know, straight line distance between here and someplace as far away as we can see. But then you have atmospheric aberrations. So maybe you can do it in space with two space stations exactly the same distance away from the sun. Except by going in a straight line, you're taking a cord and the light beam is actually going to get closer to the sun at the midway point and then further away from the sun again. Because li- you're not going to be able to shoot light at a curve. It's not going to follow the orbit of your space stations, which is a circle. It's going to take the straightest line across. Ah! So you have to get outside the solar system. You get a- as far away from any gravitational body as you can possibly get. Take two things that are so far apart. Get them quantumly entangled. Agree upon a rule of system of when you're going to send the light pulse. And then you can start timing. And then you have to collect the data and get it back to Earth so we can figure it out. So maybe that can happen someday, but it's only theoretical. We cannot physically do it right now. We do not know how fast light goes. (laughs) Enter Jason Lyle. And he said, well, the synchrony convention is an assumption. What if it's asynchronous? What if light speed as it's traveling toward the observer is infinite speed? Therefore, when we look at the heavens and we see things happening, we're seeing it in real time. Black hole merger, it didn't happen billions of years ago in some faraway galaxy. It happened. Literally, a minute ago, and we just detected it a minute ago.
0: oh wow, huh, okay, I have not heard this theory
1: It's happening now because because light speed coming at us could be infinite, but going away from us it's c over two. It still averages out to c for round trip distance now, I don't like this something about me it just i just I, it just my it turns my stomach really because it's ad hoc it's ad hoc and Everything we do, every experiment works out beautifully with light being the same in all directions. It be, it could be different because, you know, with just an assumption, but why do we even question the assumption when it always works out when we assume it's the same in all directions? Also, if you start changing the speed of light, you might start changing the passage of time. And that's an interesting question because light, speed, and time are intertwined somehow according to Einstein. And if you start changing the speed of light, maybe things are moving slow or... or happening slower in which case the effect will bounce out or maybe things are happening faster when you're far away in which case i don't i don't know it just gets very strange very quickly and the the other issue is we're just talking about the universe you can't tell the difference between things happening today instantaneously and god started creating the universe billions of years before creation week and he created in concentric circles first he created the things that are furthest away the quasars then he created the distant galaxies then the medium distance galaxies, then the close galaxies, then stars in the Milky Way, and then the local stars. And all that light got here on day three, but it started traveling billions of years ago. I don't like that answer either.
0: Yeah, it's kind of confusing to
1: be honest. Well, if light is traveling toward the earth, when you know, it creates the distant things first, and as the light travels inwards, he creates the next ring of things, and that light starts traveling inwards with the outer light also, the ding, 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 and they all get more and more and more things. And he's like that traveling wave of light. And as that wave is going toward Earth, God's creating things in series. I don't like it for a lot of reasons. One reason is that that would mean that he started creating the edge of the Milky Way 100,000 years ago. And then he created stars in the Milky Way coming closer and closer to Earth at the speed of light. But the Milky Way looks like it's gravitationally bound.
0: Oh, right. So, he would have
1: to create those 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 first stars would have to be moving with nothing to hold them in place yet. So that's weird too. I don't I don't like that, but you can't actually tell the difference between that and the Lyell's hypothesis.
0: Yeah, but like you were saying, it does seem like it's the clunkiest of the theories.
1: Yeah, so I don't like that either. So maybe uh Danny Faulkner has an idea that God just kind of brought the light to us. Hmm. I don't like that. I don't <laughs> like that phraseology. Because what do you mean? He <laughs> stretched it out or he, he caused the light to go faster or he created the light. In tra- that's another one. God created the light between us and distant things. So, he created
0: the distant things. God just he- said,
1: light, come on, snap, snap, hop to it. Get over yeah. there.
0: All right, there you go. Slow down. All right, slow down. Slow down.
1: All right. Yes. All right, or chill. he created the entire light wave when he created the object. Mm. So, billions of, of miles of space got filled with light because God created the light When he created the object. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I don't know. uh, No, because we've seen supernovae that are further than 6,000 light years away from earth.
0: Right. Exactly.
1: That would mean God created a light wave to a star that never existed.
0: (laughs) Yeah. He would have to create
1: light from a star and then light from a supernova that connects to a real supernova at the other end. That star was never there. So, God becomes a deceiver. So, I don't like this idea either. So, in the end though… We're left with no explanation. I am unsatisfied with every single theory I've heard, from the secular big bang model to creationist alternative models, nothing actually works. And forget multiverse, you know, bubbles within bubbles sort of things. It 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 just nothing works. Nothing explains the universe. It defies rational naturalistic explanations. And that's one of the most wonderful things about the universe. That is really wild. All right. So we can talk forever on this, but I think that's probably enough. And I think everyone's eyes are totally glazed over. What on earth are we talking about? But that's what it is. The universe is cool because we don't understand it. Yeah. We still awe and wonder and marvel when we look at the skies because the skies make no sense. Well,
0: I don't think you ever have to make apologies for putting people to sleep. The The, the content's really good. <laughs> people tune in for the, the stuff. I want to say
1: fall asleep. I said eyes glaze over as in I don't understand. But
0: nobody <laughs> Just chew your understand. food more slowly. Listen to this yeah. podcast on half speed. Maybe you'll get it better.
1: <laughs> but no, but the t- okay, take home point is this. Even Albert Einstein didn't understand the universe. Nobody does. Therefore, it's okay to not be able to explain the universe.
0: That's a really good way to put
1: it. Okay. Wow. Good show, Rob. Thanks, man.
0: Uh, I almost wish that our podcast or our talk show at uh, Creation could even like follow up this and say, "Hey, if you wanted to hear more from Dr. Carter talking about these <laughs> things after you watched the Creation talk, just because yeah. uh, you're able to say a whole lot more than they were able to say in the, that 25 minute episode."
1: Yeah, but also because you know we're we're kind of um what's that called? Uh, night lighting? That's not right. Moonlighting? This is a side – Moonlighting. We're not get paid for this, but it's a side project of ours, just like my biblical genetics is a side project. Yes,
0: we are night owls. So I
1: feel I – f- yeah, I feel a oh, good, good one. I like that. I feel perfectly fine to reference creation.com and my old articles and things in my side items, but the reverse is not true. I don't want to drive creation.com traffic to biblical genetics. Right, Sure. Because it's just, it's just not fair. I mean, they're paying me a salary. Biblical gen- I can't drive things to biblical genetics, but the other way works great. However, um, they have put a link to biblical genetics on creation.com.
0: Oh, okay, good. I'm That's so nice. happy
1: because Taz Walker's biblical geology has been on there a long time. And a boss is like, hey, Rob, why don't you put your biblical genetics? Like, oh, yeah, woohoo. So yeah, I'm officially registered as a creationist on a website on creation.com. It's, it's really cool.
0: Very good. So thanks so much for joining us on this quest from this side to the other side of the Milky Way and beyond. And if you found this episode interesting in any way, consider sharing this episode with your friends and family. This episode's links and show notes are available in most podcast players with this episode, with this show. But you can um, be sure to find them at nightowl.fm slash equinox slash 60. And if you want to get Equinox Plus, that's the other podcast where we're gonna talk about ice cream included in the bonus episodes. So you can get to hear that episode from us with Equinox Plus. There's a link to the Patreon page in the show notes so you can go check it out. And you should also check out Biblical Genetics, Rob's said the project. Biblical Genetics is also available on Facebook and YouTube where you can watch the videos and join discussions in the comments. If you want to find me, I'm at JCS Darnell on Twitter or take a listen to my other podcast, Hi-Fi, which is available at nightowl.fm slash hi-fi. Until next time, goodbye, Rob. Goodbye, Joe. You've been listening to Equinox.
1: was a cool noise. My bad. Whatever that was, that was cool. <laughs> I just bumped the boom arm, that's all. Oh, it sounded like a b- gong bong. <laughs> <laughs> you should leave that in there as a, sp- a sound effect. Tong.
0: Sure. <laughs>